Dagon's Illusion, Episode 43, The Tipping Point. Horror, death, devastation, rage, all of these were the legacy of the hurricane that men had named Katrina, named her that because they did not know her true identity and could not see her soul. She was not the first dark angel to fall upon the land, for the blood in the cup had long been overflowing. Long had angels of dissolution been entering, possessing, destroying, and propagating, for the old adage was true in part, dark angels do reproduce like flies. Three days after the hurricane, Ellison Carter arrived at the mansion with trucks and men. How she did it was a mystery to Dagan, just another of her miracles. When the rest of the city was in ever-growing chaos, she brought order into his life. What was left inside the building was packed up and removed to storage. Oddly, most of his collection had survived, except for the grimoires, which had been ripped to pieces and were unsalvageable. He did not mourn the loss. The tall wrought-iron fence that circled the grounds was mended and the gates rehung. Armed guards with dogs were stationed to walk the perimeter, and once more the mansion was left to its memories. Two new centers for Dagon's business were established. Ellie leased an entire floor of a downtown hotel for the staff and a small house in the French Quarter for their offices. All of this because Dagon insisted on not laying off anyone who chose to wait and see what the future might hold for the club. This did not please Ellie. They had several huge arguments about it. As far as she was concerned, their only hope was to relocate to a different city, and there were several excellent possibilities. Her favorites were Las Vegas, Denver, and Chicago, but Dagon refused them all. For him, it was New Orleans or nothing, and he was willing to gamble everything on their future here. It was beyond rational argument. The mansion was like a mystical home, and it was disturbing how he clung to it. Most irritating of all was the way he hung on to the odd collection of people who had entered his life during the storm. As nonsensical as it was, Dagon insisted on hiring them, though there were no jobs for them to do. Finally, on a miserable rainy morning, the whole thing came to a head. Walking into his office with a pile of bills, Ellie found him playing with a magic trick. I hate to disturb you in the middle of deep concentration. He didn't look up. I'm thinking about coming out with a new dye box. It's a creaky old trick, but I could give it a goth twist. Call it the spider box. In fact, I might come out with a whole new line of children's magic. We could base it around a set of videos, supernatural stories about a wizard or something. Robert, we have to talk. He stopped playing. That's never a good beginning for a conversation. I'm being stonewalled by world casualty. No surprise there. Turn it over to Ben and tell him to sue their ass. I already have. We're not alone. This is happening to businesses across the city. Bunch of crooks. The government has to step in. Look, if Ben can't move them with threats of litigation, we're in deep trouble. Going to court will take years. Yeah, I'm sure they're counting on that. We've got to hang in there. We're going to make it. I wish I had your faith, but I'm looking at our bank account. We have almost 500000 in bills, and that's just for a 10-day period. We're bleeding to death. We've got to let the staff go except for the team leaders, and we can only hang on to them until we know what's going to happen with the insurance. Ellie, what will these people do? There's no work in the city. Then they have to leave the city. Half the population has done that. That means when we get started again, we'll be training a whole new staff. You mean if we get started again? Listen... 
I understand how you feel. I feel the same way. But we just don't have the money to carry them. And you've made it worse by insisting that we bring on your little collection of weird people. I owe them. They stayed with me to help guard the place. I couldn't have done it by myself. Yeah, well, you helped them, too. They didn't have anywhere to go. You fed them and gave them shelter. I don't expect you to understand this, but I feel like we need them. She rolled her eyes and groaned. Robert, you can't run a business on mystical crap. Is it mystical crap to want to show some compassion? It is when it's bankrupting us. Look, I like Joshua Staples. He's weird, but he's nice, and it's noble that you want to help a homeless person. That's not what it's about. Frankly, I can't stand him. He irritates the hell out of me. But he saved my life during the storm, and he probably saved all of us afterward. Fine. So give him a nice cash reward and put him on a plane back to Chicago. I wish I could do that. Why can't you? I just can't. So in this fantasy of our resurrected business, just exactly what job is he going to do? We've been looking for a new host. She stared at him as though he had lost his mind. You've got to be kidding. You want that guy at our front door? You might as well have Eustace greet people by throwing cards at them. He's a lot smoother than he lets on. This homeless bum thing is just a shtick. Okay, now we've got our new host. What are you going to do with your pickpocket? Have him wander through the crowd lifting wallets to enhance our bottom line? Blue Note Charlie's was destroyed. In case you haven't noticed, we were destroyed. Even if we're rebuilt, we've already got Joe, Eddie, Rachel, and Sarah at the bar. We don't need anyone else. He's got a great little act. He gave me a demonstration. So hire him to come in a couple of times a week and do his thing. Don't put him on staff. Dagan didn't answer. But that's not what it's about, is it? Somehow he's attached to your little homeless waif. Of all the crazies you've brought into my life, she takes the prize. She's nuts, Robert. Absolutely wacko. Where do you intend to employ her? With the mind-reading puppets? I don't know yet. And you're right, she's a little disturbed. A little disturbed? Why don't you tell that to Susan? She's taken her to the hospital five times, and every time she acts like a terrified three-year-old. When the doctor tried to give her a shot, you'd have thought he was murdering her. A lot of people don't like shots. Do they scream and throw tantrums? She's been very ill. Which is weird all by itself. Where did she get yellow fever? The health department is worried about that, and she can't seem to answer any of their questions. What do you want her to say? Do you remember every mosquito bite you've ever had? She can't remember anything. And because of her, the whole Gulf Coast is going to get sprayed. She had a high fever. Maybe it damaged her memory. The doctors say that isn't true. They've run every test you can imagine. They want her to see a psychiatrist. No psychiatrist. She's not crazy. So that's your professional diagnosis? You'd better talk to Susan because she might disagree and she's been dealing with her every single day. The slightest thing pushes this girl over the edge. Drive faster than 20 miles an hour and she starts hyperventilating. On interstate, she screams and covers her eyes. And who taught her how to dress? Susan took her shopping. She refuses to wear pants of any kind, and she'll only wear skirts that come to her ankles. All she wants to do is sit in the library, where she spends hours going through old papers and magazines. Half the time, she doesn't understand what you say to her. You have to explain the smallest mysteries of life, such as McDonald's. She thought the order point in the drive-thru was demon-possessed. I'm telling you, it's like dealing with somebody from another planet. I know she's difficult. Difficult? She's a lunatic! I just want to help her find her family. Which is weirdest of all? 
I had Ron working on that little problem for three days. He contacted every Carmody in Louisiana. Not a single person knows her. The woman's either lying or nuts, and I'm betting on the latter. The way I figure it, she escaped from some kind of institution. We're going to check on that tomorrow. You're wasting your time. Ellie stared at him. You know something about her that you haven't told me, don't you? He was silent. What's going on between you and this girl? Absolutely nothing. Have you seen the way she looks at you? She's frightened. Yeah, frightened. When she's not at the library, she waits outside your office. I know that. Robert, I'm concerned. I get very strange vibes from this woman. If she really is crazy, she could be dangerous. She's not dangerous. Okay, fine. Don't believe me. But there's one thing you'd better believe. We can't afford your generosity. And it's not just your money that we're spending. Half of it's mine. I understand that. Then you'll understand that soon I'm going to have to make some serious decisions. What does that mean? I can't let my whole life go down the drain. So you're pulling out? Not right now. But I put a deadline on it. We'll wait and see whether we have to sue World Casualty. If we do, I'm out. Well, I guess that's clear enough. I'm sorry, Robert, but there just isn't an alternative as long as you insist on staying in New Orleans. I've been talking to banks. I could get loans if you were willing to relocate, but nobody wants to put a dime in here, and I can't blame them. It's going to be a decade before this city is back to normal if that ever happens at all. And even if we had the money to rebuild, half our clientele is gone. How many tourists are going to want to come here? Dagan rubbed his eyes, suddenly had a headache. Okay, let's see what happens with the insurance. One last thing. This morning I got the final estimate for rebuilding. The lowest bid is almost $15 million. What? You want a complete restoration, and the damage is from the ground to the roof. It would be a lot cheaper to tear it down and start over. We can't do that. I guess that's it, then. As Ellie walked out of the office, she passed Millicent Carmody, who was coming in. Both women were crying.